Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. We have a very unique episode today. Uh, We have a big group here in the studio with us to talk about something really near and dear to all of our hearts, um, service. But as we also are connecting service through a really cool place and organization called Chris Kindlemart. And so we have together uh, with us Allison Chard, the founder of Chris Kindlemart. She uh, lives in Maryland. And Katie Graham, the director of St. Martin's Project, as well as Amy Dotharmer, the executive director of Utah Refugee Connection, and Rachel Garrett, who is a foster parent. So you might be wondering what all these folks have in common, and we're going to tell you today. Um, But we're going to start with Allison. Um, First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, um, how you came to be um, a, a part of this German market. Sure. First of all, I am so impressed that you said Chris Kindle Market correctly. That is a huge score for you. And Well, I did do a PSA a while ago, and I worked really hard on it. And Because so. my nearest and dearest friends still call it the Chris Kringle something. So I, anyway, so I'm just telling you, good job. That is a big bonus. But I grew up in Salt Lake, and um, my husband and I and our three daughters lived in Germany for three years. And it was during that time um, we would go to these Christmas markets that were such a wonderful way of bringing community together to their town squares and had this element of culture um, and and wonderful entertainment and just community giving. And so when I moved back to Utah, I just kept thinking, oh, this would be so big here. Um, Utahns love cultural things. They love um, things that have – uh, food and performance and just wonderful activities. They love Christmas. And so for years, it just kept kind of haunting me that I needed to do this. And finally, in 2012, so 10 years ago, um, I just thought, I've got to try this. And so I I started the first um, Chris Kendall Market. And the amazing thing with Chris Kendall Market, I was my idea in the beginning, but what has made Chris Kendall Market what it is is we have 25 volunteers who um, give of their time. We are a nonprofit. None of us get paid, and we really do it as a way of giving back to the community. And um, Katie, who is with me, when you get to that point, will tell you more about our connection with the service end of it. 
Yeah. So these German markets are around the world. They, right. And, and I've, from what I understand, um, a lot of them are being, um, canceled this year kind of suddenly, right? Right. Well, I think, um, 2020, we had to cancel the Chris Kindle market and, um, German markets are around the world. They are traditionally started in Germany. And as a result, I think it was a way that people would gather at the end of the harvest, really, and celebrate together. And sadly, um, I think we know what's happening with COVID in Germany right now, that um, they were hoping they would do that. And then some of them are having to be canceled. And what broke our heart last year when we canceled is we have all of these vendors who literally um, spend the year making their wares or whatever and and to have to tell them, I'm sorry, you won't be able to do that. And also a source of income. We look at it as 110 small business owners that are also partic- participating in the market. And that was the hardest part for us, I think, as a committee to cancel, knowing that those vendors would not have a way, a source of um earning income in that really hard year. Yeah. So Katie, let's talk a little bit about um, the start of this and talk about what the St. Martin's project is and and talk about St. Martin. You told a story to me a while ago about who St. Martin was. Tell tell a little bit about the story of St. Martin and, and then what this project is. I'm so grateful that I get to share this fun story about an incredible person whose life was filled with compassion St. Martin is um, someone who celebrated all over Europe, but especially in Germany. He was a Roman soldier. So think about him as a part of an occupying army, but he had been converted to Christianity. And because of that conversion, he became one who was always looking to serve and help other people. He became, um, let's just say that service became second nature to him and, and really a part of who he was. And one of the most famous stories about St. Martin is uh, that one day he'd given everything he had away. It was payday. He'd been paid. He'd given all he had to the poor. And as he made his way through the streets of the town where he was assigned to serve, he saw a beggar in the street who needed help. And Martin had nothing left except for the cloak from his Roman soldier's uniform. So he took his sword and cut the cloak in half, wrapped the man in this red cloak, And then went on his way. Well, the man went on his way and told his friends and neighbors and those in the town what Martin had done. And of course, you'd think about this in November or close to December. It's winter. It's cold. It's dark outside. Martin didn't want to have recognition for any of the service he gave. And so he hid in the town. And the townsfolk went with their lanterns to look for him and found him in the goose house. The goose gave him away. And or the geese gave him away, I should say. And um, Martin was celebrated and has been celebrated ever since on a specific day in Germany that's called St. Martin's Day. November 11th is that day. And on St. Martin's Day, children and neighbors in the town gather for a parade. St. Martin is there. He's dressed in his Roman soldier's uniform. He's on a beautiful horse. He leads the parade and all around him are children carrying lanterns. And all of this is geared toward the idea of compassion kindness, service. It's a way that the entire, the towns in Germany come together to celebrate these values that they share. And it's really awesome. I love that we're continuing these ideas here in Utah. So this is a unique thing for Utah. The Chris Kindle Mark for Utah, for Salt Lake City, is really unique in this, having this service aspect. 
to it. So there's always a market where where people sell their wares, and it's a celebration of German history and and German culture. But the service aspect and this St. Martin's project is unique to Utah. Why do you think it works here? Well, we know that Utahns are incredibly compassionate and service-minded. And so, of course, Utah shows up. Um, and people in our community are very interested in in giving, in giving of their time, their talents, their means. And so this kind of idea can work here because the community members are excited and willing and wanting to help. Yeah, and I was just going to um, interject, too, that it was interesting when I was researching the Chris Kendall Market, um, I came across the story of St. Martin. And when I read that story, you know how you have those thunderbolts that just um, hit me over the head, and I thought, this market has to be founded on this principle. And so we are unique. I think other markets are not nonprofit. I mean, they are, which they should, you know, earning, earning a living from doing it. And I think that we as a committee are so um, committed to really having the foundational part of our market be based on St. Martin and what he teaches us. And our slogan is putting the kind in Chris Kindle Market um, based on St. Martin. So um, I think it's a fun twist to that market, and I think that's what makes it really special. There's a special feeling when you go up there, and I think it's because of this foundational commitment to what St. Martin taught us about being kind. So let's talk about the where where it's at. Tell me, uh, uh, walk me through the sort of the process of um, of the market and and how it works. So it is that this is a place park, which I think is a wonderful backdrop backdrop um, for the market and. Um, I just think it's such a, and Katie, please jump in whenever you want to, but I think it's such a wonderful way to feel magic of Christmas. Um, there's, like I said, 110 vendors. Um, we look for vendors that either create their own product or have some, some type of European twist to it. We have amazing food. Um, I dream about the food all year, and I can only get it. Um, I mean, just amazing European food, brats and um, European hot chocolate and um, stroop waffles and I mean it just goes on and on so wonderful food wonderful entertainment and so when someone comes to the market um, it's just we want it to be a magical experience where you literally feel like you have entered German Germany it's such a fun atmosphere and such a great way to bring Christmas into your family or into your you know how we we start playing the music we we do those things, you know, the weekend after Thanksgiving, and the market is always very soon after Thanksgiving, and it's just one more way to invite Christmas into our homes or get in the Christmas spirit, and it's great to have service be part of that as well. It's so funny. there We have a, and I don't know if many people know this, but we have an incredible uh, German restaurant in yes. San Pete. It's in oh, Spring Sam City. Pete. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Yes. It's called Das Café. Have you? Do you know it? They were one of our vendors. They couldn't come this year. We know it very well. Their carrot cake is to die for. It's legendary. <laughs> it is absolutely legendary. And um, they, I, I actually, we were in there a few weeks ago, and I asked them. I said, "Are you coming to the market?" Because I knew we were doing this project, and 
And they're like, no, we can't go this year. I know they're, they, they are just an incredible family that live in Spring City. And they opened this restaurant because I think basically they were just feeding their friends and neighbors all the time because they couldn't get enough of their amazing food. And even my kids who are pretty picky, we go in there and they just think it's fabulous. Even if you don't think you like sauerkraut, Try it. <laughs> yeah. Once you've had German food, you like German food. Yeah. I mean, you you, there, there's, there are things to like. You don't have to like it all, but you'll find something that you enjoy. It's so true. Uh, and their breakfast. They're yeah. famous for their breakfast. Oh, my goodness. Their waffles. And and I just have to put in a plug for Spring City. I went there one time, and they have an amazing artist community there. And so whatever you have going on there, it is amazing, a wonderful resource to our community. So. Yeah, Spring City is a fun town. It really is. Very unique. I always say it's it it's sort of half um, local uh, farmers and, you know, just old-time Sam Peters. And then the other half is sort of this eclectic art community. <laughs> and it's an interesting mix. It makes for some really fascinating politics. But uh, culturally, it's really fun. I have two, three siblings, actually, that live in Spring City now. So it's it's a pretty cool place. Um I want to keep talking about this and actually let's let's take a break and come back and talk about the service project and what it means for for our community. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. We're back here with an amazing group of women who are talking about the Chris Kindle Market up at This Is The Place State Park that's going on December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and 4th, <laughs> all three, all four days um, that they will be up there. They will have over 100 vendors. But the really cool part and the really unique part is this idea of service. So we kicked off on St. Martin's Day on November 11th, we kicked off this service project, which is a, a drive for gift cards. And those gift cards are going to a couple of different organizations that are near and dear to my heart. And that's why our show up team partnered with the market to to do this service project. We are thrilled today to have a couple of really incredible people here that are within the organizations that that we are um partnering with and sponsoring with these gift cards. So first of all, let's let's introduce Amy. Thank you for having me. It's, it's so, a pleasure to be here. So I feel like I keep running you. into you. I know. We it's a good at, thing. It's it was a good really thing. cool because we were just at the um, giving City Creek opening the, the giving machines 
Um, so tell me, first of all, Amy, let's talk a little bit about the organization that you're involved with, okay. what you guys do, what your services are, um, and the things that you're So involved. Utah Refugee Connection was started about 10 years ago by um, two really remarkable individuals that were asked by Palmer DePaulis to start filling gaps in the refugee community in Salt Lake. And Lou Miller and Missy Wilson Larson stepped up to the plate and the goal was to help people in the general community and businesses know more things that they could do to help benefit refugees that are resettled in Utah. And through the years, we've evolved to fill basic needs. So, you know, whatever the needs are at the time, we kind of, you know, pivot to meet those needs. And so um, we, in the last few years, have run a social media feed called Serve Refugees on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the focus of that social media feed is to give people in the general community ways to learn about, serve, and give to refugees locally. And, you know, you talked about this this giving aspect of people in Utah and Salt Lake and along the Wasatch Front. People want to do good, but sometimes they don't know what to do. And sometimes they do good thinking it's going to be helpful, and it's not always helpful. And so the goal of our social media feed is to really give people, those meaningful ways to learn about, to serve, to give. And then we partner with a lot of other entities that serve refugees. And um, on the opposite end, we're connected with a lot of refugee community leaders like Pook Pook, who you met at the other day, who was so grateful to have the opportunity to be with you and to have his so picture cute. taken. But he's a community leader that we frequently work with. And we find out, you know, what is it that the South Sudanese, what are the Somali community members looking for? And we interface with them. And like I said, other nonprofits like International Rescue Committee and Catholic Community Services. And we say, hey, what are you working on that we could be helpful with? And then we fill those gaps and we try and make sure they're meaningful gaps, meaning okay, let's say the South Sudanese is trying to start a basketball team, but they don't have resources. What can we do to help them? And so we're kind of like a matchmaker or a telephone operator that plugs the right people in together. And we have had an amazing response from the community in um, the past probably six years with social media where they're so grateful to know really what's needed. And then the people that we work with are really grateful to have the connections made that need to be connected. So, you know, that's that's our goal. And we love the idea of showing up for your community. And we love the idea that you're you're helping people in the general community know ways that they can make a difference and show up, whether it's showing up for veterans or showing up for foster care or showing up for refugees, which I think we're really good at. But sometimes people just don't know what to do. So we have been giving them lots of ideas through the years of how to be engaged and how to help with refugees. I think that's amazing. And it's such an amazing mission because there are, I found out as we work in nonprofit spaces now, um, there's, there's sometimes these disparate groups that are sort of in silos doing things. And as we connect them, um, I think we're, we're more powerful because we can really serve in better ways as we connect data, as we connect for resources. Sure. And sure. and so I and think... we never want to yeah. replicate a program that's already running. 
So, like the English Skills Learning Center does great English classes. Well, let's not recreate an English class. Let's help them have resources to make their programming run. You know, or Utah Health and Human Rights helps refugees that are the victims of torture. And you know, someone that's a massage therapist might have certain skills. Well, we don't need a massage therapist at our share house, but we might be able to connect them to the place where they need to be. And so. We are very collaborative in nature. You know, we've worked with IRC and CCS, especially with the Afghan refugees coming, saying, "Hey, what can we take off your plate? What could we help with that you're not finding the need?" So we've we've done a lot of really unique things, and like I said, we don't want to replicate services. We simply want to support the services that are already out there and help people feel more um, more engaged in knowing what needs there are. So that's so great. I'm I'm getting so many questions. I can't tell you how many times people have reached out to me and said, we know these refugees are coming. We've we've been told that they're coming from Afghanistan. We know that in the state we have over 60,000 refugees here already that are needing service, needing help, needing, you know, they have many needs. So What's the answer to that question? What's the best way if I'm a family or, I, you know, I'm just hearing this and thinking I want to help. I have some resources. I have a whole family that I would love to get involved in this. Um, for instance, like my my family one year, I just thought, what can I do? And so several years ago, we started doing um, a Thanksgiving dinner with a whole group of refugee families, you know, five or six families each Thanksgiving in conjunction with CCS. And we, that was a way for us as a family to feel like we're connecting with them. And we actually did do gift cards, you know, and gave them a gift card for, for like a Christmas present after we'd done it. And, and the reason we did that was, you know, we wanted them to feel like a part of our community. We wanted them to feel comfortable, um, interfacing with a government official, um, lots of reasons to do it, but also it was a beautiful experience for my family to get to know somebody that had had a completely different life experience, completely different language, and yet come together in that that night. Oh, it was beautiful. We, We thought, oh, we'll bring little games for the kids to play. And what ended up happening is all the adults played the games and my kids just couldn't couldn't let go of these beautiful children after at the end of the night they wanted to continue to be friends with them but i sat and talked to moms who were fussing about their kids and their phones here we are i mean worlds apart yeah. um well, in I cultures think, and and founding connection both you and your husband embrace that community because a lot of these individuals have come from countries where the governments turned on them or you know, they've been caught in political rifts and they, they, they fear people in uniform. They fear people in power. And I don't know if you noticed, but Pook Pook, before even all the event was done, he was rushing over to stand by you and get a picture because he was he knew that you and your husband have embraced this community and you've tried to reach out to him. So kudos to you and your husband. But I, I think one thing that I always say to people is, first of all, any newcomer, whether they're a refugee, an immigrant, whoever they are, needs a friend and an advocate. And so just being a friend to anyone that's new in your community, regardless of if they're a refugee or not, is 
is critical. And I think every refugee refugee needs a, a kind and considerate friend and someone that can show them the way. I mean, I remember taking a group of refugees downtown and they're like, we really are in America because they had never been downtown and they hadn't seen buildings and they hadn't seen things. And they didn't because their their community was so small and they didn't have access to take cars and go places for quite a while. And they were nervous. But I remember watching an older African lady get on uh, the escalator in a pure panic because she'd never been on an escalator. And so I think helping those people that are new have access to some of the things we take for granted, like, you know, going to the Chris Kindle Mart, understanding what our community is all about and experiencing those things is critical. And if you know someone that's already working with a refugee, reach out to them and say, hey, I know you're working with this family from the Congo. Could I be helpful in some way? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, if you're helping a refugee family, sometimes it's overwhelming. There's so many needs and so many things. You're helping them learn how to ride the bus, know where to shop. That If you have a community of people helping you with that family, I think it can be really helpful. Um, And right now, especially the resettlement agencies – are getting inundated with requests. So be patient with them. You know, a lot of their staffs were minimized um, during the last few years. So, you know, just being patient, but reaching out to people that you already know help refugees is really critical. Okay, that's that's good advice. And and so we're doing this card drive, a gift card drive. What are the most needed things that you could use those dry? Are you going to give those to the families? How, how's that going to work? I'm going to pop in here. Yeah, please um, do. Mainly to share a personal experience that we actually just had yesterday, my sister and I. We are helping a family from Afghanistan, and they, they don't yet have transportation or language. But through a translator, we were able to find out just a few things that they that they needed to feel like they could cook in the ways that were traditional for their culture and and a few other things. So we found a place in West Valley, the Halal Market, and my sister and I met up there. And as we walked in the door, we met the individuals who run the market. And we asked them, could you help us find these items? And they were quick to help. They were so eager. They wanted to know who it was that we were, which family we were working with. Both of these men had come from Afghanistan in the last eight or nine years and began to explain that they once had been refugees themselves and that they now were independent business owners and they were finding success in their chosen careers, um, owning and running these mark- this market. And so they had actually reached out to IRC and are now providing a warm meal when an, an, a new refugee arrives so that their meal is prepared the way they're used to and they're able to have something to eat that will taste like Afghanistan. And as we continued to talk, I thought about these gift cards. One of the requests we've had is for gas cards from Maverick. And so this this market is actually also taking um, halal-prepared uh, foods to many families who are just getting established here. And, and that's difficult. Those families don't yet have transportation. Learning the bus system takes time. And so these men are driving groceries to the Afghan, Afghan Afghan families that are new to Salt Lake. And I was thinking, oh, won't it be great? We can deliver these gift cards to URC, and URC can make a trip to the halal market and, and share the gift cards. 
the, these men are doing what we all want to do. They're showing up. They're showing up for the for the Afghan community. They're showing up as Utahns, as members of the Salt Lake County area. They're seeing that they can meet an important need, but we could just support that need by using these gift cards. So just before I came in here, I was talking with some some people at the refugee service office, and they were saying, "Hey, we need your help, Amy." We're having a meeting with some of the Afghan leaders, and we could use some gift cards to help them go pick up other people and bring them. I'm like, I got you covered. So there's lots of different needs. It isn't just families. It's helping the community come to resources that they need to have. So. I think that's such an interesting thought about food. I We had Luna Bonori here um, on our podcast a, a little while ago, and she was telling us about how you know we were giving these families like a Smith's gift card. They go to Smith's and they walk down the aisles and it doesn't look like food to them. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's so unfamiliar. Absolutely. And so I love the idea of just really making sure that it's something familiar to them and reaching out to these markets that are familiar to them and that have food. Food is such an interesting cultural um phenomenon where where it brings us together it gives us comfort it makes us feel at home um i i just i mean i got a son in in brazil right now who's eating brazilian food for the first time (laughs) actually he's quite enjoying it but but having that experience to be so different from what you know is you know let alone everything else around you if you could get the food that you are familiar with that's such a great starting point for sure. That. Look, we've talked about German food today. We've now we're talking about halal. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, I lived in Sweden for a time with my young family and had the same experience. We were not refugees. We were in a very cushy situation. We were expats on a on a work assignment, and I walked through the grocery store thinking, "How am I going to cook here?" And grew to love cooking and grew to love everything about it. But those first few weeks, trying to figure things out. It was a Swedish woman in my in my area from my church congregation who took me to the grocery store and showed me this is what this is and this is how we make it and took me to her home and taught me how to make Swedish buns and do those things. Those are the things we now bring those traditions into our own home and family, just the way our Afghan neighbors will start to learn things from us and we'll learn from them. And so some of their dishes will become ours and some of our dishes will become theirs over time. Food is a really key element to helping people feel welcome. That's perfect. Well, and I, I love that philosophy, too. They have so much to teach us, and and I love that to say, please teach us um, your ways as well. Yeah. Love that. Perfect. Um, I want to continue this conversation. We want to get to Rachel and talk about the other part or the other um, – organizations that we are going to be helping through this gift card drive. Um, we'll, we'll continue the conversation when we come right back. We are back here with this incredible group of women, and we are talking about service through giving gift cards at our Chris Kindle, Chris Kindle Mark, uh, Salt Lake City and our St. Martin's project. Um, we have a very special guest, uh, Rachel Garrett. I, I love meeting our foster families and our foster mom and dads because, um, they're doing just incredible work and their stories inspire me every day. And you might think, uh, to yourself, what's, what's the connection here? We, we're talking about refugees. We're serving refugees. 
and we're also talking about our foster families. And Katie, you said it so beautifully, and maybe you just give a little introduction to to what makes the connection here. Well, we know that refugees are forced to leave a home that they would prefer to stay in. Um, I haven't met a refugee ever that didn't wish that they could have just stayed in their home country. But due to persecution or war or other circumstances, they have to flee. And, you know, our foster children are in a similar situation. No child wants to leave home. There's no child anywhere ever who wants to be taken from their parents. But uh, foster children are refugees of their own sort. They have to find a safe place. And where Utah has become a safe place for many refugees, over 60,000, different homes in Utah are a safe place for many uh, foster children, uh, homes like Rachel's. Yeah. And at any time in the state of Utah, we have about 2,700 foster children. And sadly, Christmas time, there's an uptick in that need. So Rachel, first of all, tell me about yourself. Tell me about um, how, where you grew up, how you got here, what, what um, brought you to the decision to, to be a foster parent? Um, that's all great questions. So um, to give a little con- bit of context, I am a former high school teacher and so um, I just really love working with youth. And um, I became a CASA, which is a court-appointed spe- special advocate. Um, so th- another plug, if you're wanting to help in um, these youth and a volunteer position that's really flexible, you should look in the CASA program. Um, and then between those two experiences, I worked with a lot of youth that had um, experienced so much trauma um, because of being displaced in the foster system, um, not feeling like they had a safe place at home, and um, it kind of just opened my eyes to this whole world that I um, didn't grow up with. And so I, um, yeah, we, my husband and I had this conversation that we felt that we could do more, and so we became licensed foster parents, and um, it's transformed our lives entirely. It kind of makes me a little bit emotional, but it has, it has truly changed our lives, and um, we... Just like Katie said, uh, I think witnessing the healing up close um, is really inspiring. And it's we just had two teen boys in our home this year, and they were unified with their families last month. And um, and to see that whole process come full circle um, was really, really powerful. And to be there with and to hug their dad, he had worked so hard to to get to that point that the boys could come back home and, and to be able to have such a relationship with the boys, we still, they text us every day and we still um, go out because we have two other kids. And so um, that connection they have to each other is pretty special too. And um, yeah, it's, it's really been transformative and to see how much these kids go through by no choice of their own, um, but are forced in these situations and fill um, so unsafe and scared about their realities. I mean, we just, there's a lot of need for safe homes to take these kids in as their families get additional help. It's so inspiring. And thank you for sharing. I know this is close to your heart. And so I I, I feel honored that you would share your story. Um, I, I want to talk about 
I know I've, I've had people reach out and say, I just don't know if I could do it because I can't let those kids go. Talk a little bit. I know it's really dear to your yeah, heart no. and really I'm an open book. <laughs> emotional, but, but talk about that a little. Let's go more in depth yes. about um, that reunification process. I um, when people say, like, I don't know if I could do it because I get too attached. I'm like, that's the point. You want to. You want to love those kids like they're your own. You want to be able to have that connection. And um, you do go in knowing that that is a reality. But I also feel like when we the moment that we drove away after dropping them off, I I mean, there's so many mixed feelings. But I'm like, this this is this is what's right. Like, this is what it's. This is the purpose. This is the point. And the fact that we all were so emotional about it shows like that we just love those kids so hard. And that's what all kids deserve. And we just consider ourselves a few extra people to love them in their lives. And additional family, they um, they really love Fast and the Furious. So like all those quotes about family, like we're just like, we'll just we're additional family members for you guys and, and the support. And a lot of these families could use extra support outside of I mean, it takes a village for all of us. We, I mean, I need our family needs help and support when things go awry or, or just on the daily. And so I think that a lot of these families um, that come from either dysfunction or really um, low levels of support could use extra support from these families. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the reality is that it is going to be difficult, but it, in our experience, it's been so worth it. I have, it's been life-changing. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the needs, yes. because we were talking about this service and, um, you know, obviously I've been very passionate about uh, foster care and helping families, recruiting families, retaining them, making sure yes. that they feel seen and heard and they have their needs met and they have a caring community around them. Talk a little bit about the needs that you're seeing in the foster care community. That's a great question. And I first just want to say just as speaking on behalf of Utah Foster Care, we are so appreciative of, of your initiative and your efforts in this in this realm. It's made a huge difference. And to raise awareness, there's a lot of stigma and stereotypes with regards to fostering and, and shining light on the realities and the need and the wonderful ways that you're, these fulfilling, important ways to give back is important. So thank you so much. Um, but yeah, with regards to needs, um, similar to what was kind of said before, um, as a foster parent, you basically are signing up to take in a child at any time. So you could receive a call any time. And so on Christmas Eve, I mean, children will be placed. And that's just the reality, which is really devastating. And so the needs are, I mean, just covering some of those costs of they deserve a Christmas and warm clothes. And I've reached out to many foster families in the last month, just trying to put feelers out to see what are some things that they could use for help. And a lot of them are just like, I would love help with just providing like good meals and and new car seats or warm clothes. Um, and a lot of times um, in Utah, the, you'll take in sibling groups. So it's not just one child too. So you, you're thinking of also like bedding and, and all these like logistics. Um, and they deserve to have like their own towels and you know, those kinds of things. And I can assure you, whatever's not used in the holidays will have a need throughout the rest of the year, um, just with all these different needs. And, and these kids deserve to have positive memories and, and to be involved in school. And I mean, we had one of our, one of our boys, he went to like homecoming and, and just little things like that, that yeah. just to be able to provide these kids some sort of normalcy. So these gift cards will definitely be used in 
and there's a great need and they will be very, very appreciative. So that's amazing. Talk a little bit about um, maybe what you wish people knew. You talked a little bit about mm-hmm. stigma and I've mm-hmm. I've heard that from people. In fact, I was with this incredible woman who had a beautiful big house and she said, you know, I've thought a lot about fostering. There is just such a stigma around fostering and mm-hmm. foster care and and I guess maybe some misconceptions and maybe some truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some hard truths, yeah. but um, talk a little bit about that and what you see are hurdles that need to be overcome to, to get over that stigma. I'm so glad we're talking about this. I'd say the biggest thing is these kids are kids and they're just like any of our other kids. And I, um, I think a big stigma is like, oh, they're in there because of something they've done. That's not true at all. I mean, it's something they were removed from and displaced from their home because of neglect, abuse, some form of trauma. So um, these kids need the same basic needs all of us have, which is to be loved and cared for and seen and to feel safe. And and um, so I think the biggest thing first is and foremost is these kids are amazing kids. And um, also... Uh, as a foster parent, you do have some control of what you feel like your capacity is. And so you can say, like, at this time, we're only like able to take on this this workload or like this these amount of kids or this age group or whatever it is. Like you have some control. So you're not just like blindly going into it. But I will say that these kids are just incredible kids and deserve to be loved just like anyone else. Um, some other stigmas I would say kind of go along with I mean, there is truth to the reality is like these are generalizations, but that people come in with for the wrong reasons or um, without the intention of like really helping the kids, whether it's financial means or something else. And um, I will just say from the foster families that I know have huge hearts and really just want to give back. And um, this is I mean, I'm a, a true believer in that healing childhood trauma will impact larger societal issues and if we can pinpoint this early on, the amount of progress and improvements we can see in a society are large and immeasurable. And so, um, yeah. And for me, I'm like, I'm I'm already in the trenches of this, and um, and I know it's not for everyone, and everyone has um, different life circumstances. But if like you have it on your heart or mind, I would seriously consider it. Or I mean, you could do respite and just do it temporary to see. Um, what that's like. And again, like I said in the beginning, being a CASA, that, that's what opened the door for me. You volunteer to advocate for these kids in the court systems and you spend a few hours with them a month. And so that's another consistent adult figure in their lives. And and so there are really meaningful ways to give back, even if you don't sign on to be a foster parent. Yeah. And these kids, and we've talked about this before, but these kids in foster care, because of the trauma of removal, I mean, mm-hmm. there's just going to be trauma with removal, yes. period. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that trauma, they are the most vulnerable people mm-hmm. in our state. Mm-hmm. And if and if we're not willing to step up for them, mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 for no other reason than just sheer um, financial reasons, I mean, they're most likely to be incarcerated. Mm-hmm. They're most likely, but but it's the it's the heart in Utah. I just figure there's no reason for us to have. Uh, a lack of places mm-hmm. for for a child to go and and get that help and and to ha- because we just have 
beautifully generous families. And I think mm-hmm. it's getting over that stigma and really understanding the process is going to be part Something of that. That's interesting. And in talking about both foster families and foster children and refugees is I really believe creativity, intelligence, ingenuity are everywhere. Opportunities aren't. And if you're not having your basic needs met, you're hungry, you're being traumatized over and over, you don't have a home, it's pretty hard to discover who you really are and what your divine potential is. And I think both of us are doing the same thing in that we're helping these individuals, these vulnerable individuals, have their basic needs met and hopefully launch into a better life for themselves and also be able to contribute what it is their their abilities are can enable them to do. Like I watch refugees as they first come, and I'm sure you've seen yeah, this with your yes, foster kids. Yes. Like they don't have their basic needs met, and then all of a sudden they do, and part of their personality comes out and their gifts and their talents and the ways they can contribute. And it is magical to watch. Mm-hmm. And I think what a loss of human potential are sitting in refugee camps or in foster mm-hmm. care, not getting their basic needs met. And so I think these gift cards allow people to help those individuals have their basic needs mm-hmm. met. And yes, they're not buying them the coat, but they're enabling someone who knows their basic needs to help them get what they really need, which is as bad as you know, as beautiful as can be in the example of this German soldier who was giving right whatever needed whatever needed to happen was happening meeting basic needs and that's what these gift cards are enabling the foster care program utah refugee connection to restore some of those basic needs so the divine p- potential of these individuals can really shine through in our community that's perfect i was also going to say with the gift cards too it gives and and I'm just speaking on behalf of the foster kids, but it gives them an opportunity to choose things. Like mm-hmm. they have their own interests in their styles and clothes and whatever it is. Those gift cards allow them to have some authority and agency in making those decisions too that many of them have never had in their whole lives. And so that's a really um, beautiful gift to give these families and these kids. And and as a testament to what Amy was saying about the um, when you're when you're in the levels of trauma, it really stunts that. Um, creativity. And so um, I was just thinking one example with one of our boys. He, um, like last month, he wrote a list of, he's like, I'm deciding what are some of my favorite things and what are my interests. And I mean, he had never done that in his life, but he's, and and developing his art skills. I just think it was so cool, that magic of seeing someone be able to come alive and discover some of their potential and to recognize it's actually a possibility if if we have that I support. Have gifts and yes, talents. yes. I don't just have to worry about food. Being alive. And, yeah. Yes. I have gifts and, and I can contribute. Yes. And I can do things. Yes. Yeah. You go out of survival mode and you can go into contri- contributing yes. mode. Yeah. Yes. That's such a great thing to see. Awesome. And and the resilience that we see from these kids, um, I think is powerful. Um, they are resilient, but they need us. They need us to be that one caring adult in their life. Um, and I think what you're doing is just amazing. So thank you. Um, I just want to maybe put a bow on this and go back to Katie. And let's just talk as as we end here. Just remind us, remind the listeners how we can get involved, how we can participate in this project and all the ways we can do that. 
We have three great ways for you to participate and help this season. Um, first of all, we have been so grateful to the Great Harvest Bread Companies. Uh, all of their locations in Utah have a box at their um, at their cash register where you can leave a gift card, and and those boxes have been there since St. Martin's Day. They're still quite empty. We'd love to see you fill them up, and they will be um, at each Great Harvest location through December 31st. So there's one way you can give. Another really fun way that begins tomorrow is to have you come to the Chris Kendall Market and come into the Pioneer Center, and there will be myself or others who are there able to help you make a donation. You can either bring a gift card with you, or you can make a donation right then and when you make a donation at um, the Chris Kendall Market, you'll be given a, a little wooden ornament that you can put on our St. Martin's Christmas tree. And then third of all, you can go to the Show Up Utah website, and there's a place, a QR code, or a way that you can link to make a, a direct donation to this cause. And those that uh, that link will be available also through December 31st. So we'd love to see you at the market, but if if making it up to the market seems daunting to you, you're also able to stop in at Great Harvest um, it won't be a German deliciousness, but you could pick up a gingerbread cookie uh, while you drop in a gift card, um, or you can just go to the Show Up Utah website and, and donate there. Thank you, Katie. That is perfect. And um, I want to thank all of you for being here with us today and for the amazing work you are all doing. Um, it's inspiring to me, and it helps me to keep going. And also, you know, we want to have a reminder from our beautiful friend, uh, Pamela Atkinson, another friend of the show, who reminds us not always to have fits of charity just at Christmas time. Uh, that the, These needs are all year long. And if you, you know, if you decide to do a gift card right now, that is amazing. And we would be so thrilled if you would do that. But also to remember, too, that these needs are all year long. And we want to keep that in mind as we go forward through the year. So thank you again for being here, ladies. This has been amazing. Happy holidays.